name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the first Sunday of Epip, and because the Feast of the Apostles is fixed with when it ends but not when it starts, the Church makes sure that the last Gospel, that the first Sunday of Epip is always about the Apostles, because it'll be the one that's guaranteed um, that will have something to do with them um, as their feast is on Tuesday. So the Gospel that we read today was about the commissioning of the Seventy. And part of the reason for, for talking about it is not just because of the Feast, but also because we are commissioned as the Seventies also to be Apostles. So someone in, um, there's a junior high retreat here in San Diego yesterday, and one of the kids sent up a question saying, how come um, the Bible stops recording history at the end of the New Testament? And the answer is we didn't. The book of Acts is the only book of the New Testament that doesn't end with an ending. It doesn't have an amen, it doesn't have anything, because we are the continued work of the book of Acts. We are supposed to, or of, of the Acts of the Apostles. We're the continued work of the Apostles, right? So that's why the Synexarium is an extension of the Praxis, right? Because it's the continued life of the Apostles, which are all the people of the Church, not just the Patriarchs, right? But also the lay women and the lay men and, and the people of the Church. So I'll summarize the, the readings that we had and then meditate a little bit more on specifically the Gospel. So all the readings, as we said, have to do with these, with the lives, the lives of the apostles. Forgive me. Um, and vespers, we read about what we saw with our Lord giving them power over disease and demons. Okay, so he gave them special gifts and sent them forth, and he commissioned them to preach, and he told them to do so with complete dependence on himself. And we're going to see that again in the gospel today, where he said, "Don't take a staff, don't take a bag." Um, or bag for you Americans, no bread, no money, no extra tunic, nothing, to have nothing with them when they went. And then we're warned that people don't like apostles, right? So in the Pauline epistle, um, the people are upset with Paul because allegedly, according to them, he accepted money, food, and drink from them. And he defends himself scripturally and tells them that the Lord ordained that those who are preaching the gospel live according to the gospel. He says that actually that's what the Lord said to do, but then defends himself and says, but I didn't even take advantage of that. I've been preaching for free. So even though I have the right to accept money, I haven't, so that none of you will accuse me. So we see that apostles often have a tough time, not just from people outside the church, but often from within the church. But he talks about how that's not the point, that spiritual life has to be treated like a contest. He says you have to treat it like you're, you're working hard for something, like you're trying to win a prize. And if you do this, you'll have self-control in all things. And he uses an analogy that people don't understand, where he says that we fight not as one beating at the air. Um, and so a lot of people don't get what he means. He's actually using a a sports analogy for the people of the time. He's talking about boxing, right? And if you look at the original Greek, he's saying that a person who wants to train to be a good boxer isn't going to put on boxing gloves and punch the air, right? He's not going to build any strength, right, if his resistance is just the air. He has to fight against something difficult, something tangible, something that's going to offer resistance. 
And he says that that's what Christian life is like too, that if you want to win the prize, you have to actually struggle, right? You can't just sit there and do nothing and say, I'm becoming a stronger Christian. No, you're not. You're, you're beating at the air if you do that. There's got to be struggle if you want to be a Christian. And then we see the same theme in the Catholic Epistle of St. Peter, where St. Peter is telling the people to be faithful in their trials, praising them for being faithful to someone that they never met, right? So this is an exhortation for us as well, because he's saying you people are being imprisoned, you people are suffering, and many of you never met Christ, right? Which is true for all of us as well. And then finally in the praxis we see signs and wonders by the apostles, right? We saw this is where in the, in the fraction we say the shadow of the one and the handkerchief of the other were performing signs and wonders. We saw in the praxis the stories of the handkerchiefs um, healing people. And what we see is that this got the apostles arrested, right? The result of them doing miracles was not that the people were so happy that the apostles were serving them, that they'd be grateful, that people were being healed of their diseases, demons being cast out, people being like raised from the dead. You'd think that most people would be comforted by this, but the result was actually that they took the apostles and threw them in prison. And miraculously, of course, they were released. But I want to focus particularly on the gospel of what our Lord said to the 70, because as I said, this is also to us. First, he says, I send you as lambs among wolves, right? So he's very clear that he knows very well what he's sending us out into. You're innocent people among ruthless people, right? And so we see in the readings like we just went through, both from within and without. From without, they're throwing them in prison. From without, they're being persecuted, right? That's what St. Peter is writing to. And then we also saw even from within the persecution. So we saw people giving St. Paul a hard time. So humans in general, we are not nice, unfortunately. We, we, we ought to be nice, but usually we're not. So we tend to be very harsh um, with people. And so our Lord acknowledges that and says, I know I'm sending you as lambs among wolves. I'm sending you as these gentle creatures among savage carnivores. And so he's saying, don't have an expectation that preaching is going to be fun um, or easy or comfortable. And a lamb among wolves means always being aware of your environment. He's giving you a warning, right, of where the wolf might be hiding, right? A, a wolf is never going to be just sitting there in the, in the open, right? The wolf is going to be hiding behind trees. It's going to be laying low in the, in the bushes or in the, in the grass. The only time that the wolves are confident is when they come as a pack, right? When they come as a pack, then they're more than willing to be confident. But if it's a solo wolf, it's usually hidden. So he's giving us an imagery of what we ought to be thinking about ourselves, to be somebody on guard, right? Not somebody who is completely unaware. It's docility against ferocity. So he's saying don't accept a, expect a warm reception to truth because people aren't going to be excited to hear that they might be wrong. And this is obviously true today of, of most of us and I find it baffling, right, is that people get very upset when someone suggests that something that they did might have been wrong. This is a very human reaction, and the vast majority of us, including myself sometimes. And it's baffling because most of us will, will, will use the expression of, I never said I was perfect. 
and yet we'll be upset when it's pointed out to us that we are indeed not perfect, right? And so if I really believe that I'm not perfect, it shouldn't shock me to find out that I'm not. Right? It shouldn't shock me to find out that there's something about me that needs fixing. And Lambs among wolves, our Lord set the example because he was crucified, right, by his own people. The apostles were murdered and imprisoned, as we saw in the, the readings today. So people don't like hearing these things. I don't know if I might have already said it, if not, I'm going to repeat it again. People don't like the truth. In Canada, in my home province, or the equivalent of a state for, for you all, our, our premier put out new laws the day that I arrived from, from Egypt that are put in, in place, that any parents who don't believe in same-sex attraction as being a natural and, and, and good thing, or who don't believe that transgenderism is a good thing, are not allowed to adopt children. And then they took the law further and said that if you have these stances against those things, actually they would consider it as child abuse and can take your own biological child away from you. Right? So this is pointing out that yeah, we are still lambs among wolves. Right? That having this kind of, of, of mentality that goes against the world isn't going to be received with gentleness. It's not going to be received with love. Those who have an opposing stance, unfortunately, are going to be bullied. Many of our kids are bullied for believing in God. I was visiting some of the homes this week and was surprised to find one of the children saying that, that a very young child, that some of his little kid friends are making fun of him for believing in God, saying that it's a made-up story, right? So expect there to be bullying, expect there to be mockery, expect there to be hostile reception to your faith and to your children's faith and for your stances on things. And keep in mind as you do this that the apostles were sent into that world, but the difference is that the apostles did it and converted the world. Right? The apostles had a message completely opposing to what was around them, and yet it completely transformed the world. Then he tells them to go out with no purse, no wallet, and not even sandals. I particularly like the no sandals part. You would think it would be the opposite command today. Right? Today, you would expect the command to be, take your own money right, so that nobody accuses you of taking something from them. Right? That would be how a, like a secular perspective would be. That's how I would, I would approach it of saying, no, I don't want anybody to accuse me of wanting something from them. I'm going to do it all myself right? because we don't want anybody to think that. But this is the opposite of what our Lord said in the service. And he said to do this, he said no to taking things because God wants everyone to participate in his work. Right? He doesn't want only the apostles to participate in the work. They have a specific task. Right? But he wants everyone to be in it. For everyone to see the value in it. The preaching of the gospel as apostles is an actual work. So he's saying that there's a physical compensation to this and a spiritual one as well. More importantly, not taking anything with them was how there's a sign of a full dependence on God and not on themselves. Only when we are in real poverty, with no ability to remedy things ourselves, it's only in these situations that we tend to see the hand of God. When we actually have nothing left that we can possibly do, that's typically when we finally realize that it's the Lord who does. I remember one of my uncles in Egypt telling me one time, I was asking him, how, how does he survive in 
what was then we thought really bad economic times in Egypt. By now it's, it's much, much worse than when I talked to him. And he said, honestly, he goes, I don't know. He said, it's miraculous. When I look at the total of my official bills, not random bills, my official bills, just my, my electricity, the phone bills, the food, um, all of these regular things, the gas for the car, their sum is greater than, than the income of me and my wife every month. But somehow, everything is paid, and we find food on the table. This is the grace of God. Okay? And my uncle is not a, a deeply religious, devout person. He's just somebody who with his heart loves God. Right? Is that when we're in those situations, those are the times where we see God's works. And St. Paul is also saying, or the Gospel is also saying, that the system fixes itself. Right? It should not be abused. The people are supposed to feed the, the apostles, um, and as we said, St. Paul defends this, saying he doesn't take advantage of it. But if a minister of God does abuse it, he's no longer preaching God, and the people will realize the abuse and will react accordingly. Right? So he's putting a system that lets each keep each other in check. Right? Is that, is that the people ought to pay for the building, they ought to pay for the priest, they ought to pay for the, the service. Right? But it's supposed to be that the servant is at the feet of the people. And that's why the commandment is not just don't take anything with you to the apostles. It was also accept anything they give you. Okay? So whatever is their means to give you, accept that. Don't ask for more. Don't demand things. Don't say that you should give me this, I'm entitled to this, or whatever it is. So it's a, it's a mutual thing. And if the people find that the servant of God is self-serving, their hands will be much more closed, right, to giving um, something. But if we were to adopt this spirit, it would be more important, because today we sometimes treat the church, and I'm not talking about St. Basil specifically, I mean us as Christians in general, right, is that we sometimes treat the church as, as fast food, right, of I have this component of, of church, I come when I feel like it, right, I'll have all these demands on what the servants should do for my children. Where are they? Why haven't they not picked up my kids? Why don't they have these special services for me? Why doesn't my kid know this, that, or the other thing? How come I didn't let my kid dress as a deacon when he came late? How come, how come, how come? Right? But then when we're asking people to come help, there's nothing. Right? If we're asking to go out and, and serve in the community, there's not always a strong response. Right? I'm, I'm not saying that again, specifically this parish, but I'm saying this is so common in the churches. But our Lord is saying that there's a mission that you're all supposed to be involved in in some way, form, or other. What are you giving? Right? Are you giving with whatever you are able? Not just monetary. Are you giving your time? Are you giving your energy? Are you giving your skills? Are you giving all the things that He gave to you? Are you giving back to the service? Having no purse, wallet, or sandals also means having nothing on your mind. Nothing on your mind at all other than the gospel. That should be the one and only goal. That's why he says, don't even greet somebody on the way. He goes, don't get distracted. You have one specific mission, and it's the word of God that you can't rest until you've accomplished. And especially in the service, I would say we need to be careful today of that, of being distracted by the system more than by the gospel. This is a big disease in Christianity, and I would even say often in orthodoxy, right? Is it, is it a place where we tend to run into problems with this? Where 
we have an elaborate system, which is a good system, right? We have the bells, the whistles, the smoke, right? We have the rules, we have the prostrations, we have icons, we have venerations, we have all sorts of wonderful things, but these are means towards a goal, right? We have a system, we have a service in the church, right? But we sometimes fixate ourselves on who is allowed to do what and who is doing what, and was it done in this way or was it done in that other way? Those are not wrong as long as they are subject to the gospel, right? They come underneath the feet of the gospel. They are not the goal, right? They are the means towards the goal. We need to be very careful of this. And then our Lord says, don't have a wallet, don't have a bag, because what he's saying is, don't store things. And I was having a conversation with someone about this recently, of saying, imagine or try and think back to a time where we didn't have refrigerators and we didn't have freezers and we didn't have one terabyte hard drives, right? We didn't have a way of accumulating things. We didn't have garages, right? You just had something that fit you and that was it. The end consequence of that, because the whole point of this is the church is supposed to be a community, is that you do have a community because you now need other people. Right? You're not self-dependent. If you look at America and Canada, North America 200, 300 years ago, not even that long ago, right? you had some guy who had to raise the hens and get the eggs. You had another person who had the cows to get the milk. You had another person who had the skill to be a physician. You had another person who knew how to do your taxes. You had another person who surveyed your land. And everybody mattered because nobody had everything. And so the community became a community because everybody needed everybody and you're forced to interact with one another. This was the way that people did it. Look at the way that our families were raised in Egypt, many of us, right? Where often the giddo, the grandfather, owned the apartment building, right? And so you had a whole building where all of the family was raised together. So when somebody had a child, the whole building raised your child. Right? People would even breastfeed each other's children so that the mom could sleep for a couple of hours and that this person was able to get help. It was a system where people weren't alone. Right? People had a whole community where they felt that everybody was participating and everybody cared about one another. This is why we're being told, don't have a purse. Don't store things for yourself. Instead, open your purse to give, Right, is what the command is. Instead, find a way to give to the community and you will receive also from the community if we live this way. So we ought to think about whether or not we are living in community, whether or not we are looking out for each other, whether or not I am storing only for myself and my house and my deep freezer so that I don't have to interact with another human being. A friend of mine was saying the worst invention in the world was the garage door opener. He goes, because you used to have to stop, open your garage and say hi to your neighbor. <laughs> Right? There, there was an interaction that used to happen, whereas now we escape right? any kind of human interaction unless it's by text right? or unless we want something. Before Logos and TV and CTV or Benamagud and YouTube, you couldn't listen to sermons or liturgy on demand. Right? Now you have your own pocket remote control priest. Right? You can get a Bunadur on channel whatever. Right? You can get whoever you want non-stop. There are people saying, no, I don't need to go to liturgy, I watch it on TV, maybe I can come in for communion because I can't get that through the dish yet. Okay? Th this, this is what I'm talking about. We have a, a whole brand new way of interacting 
as a community. This is not community, right? Is that we're supposed to come together. We went to places to learn. Now everyone wants to learn alone, right? And Christ is saying the opposite. You're not supposed to be doing this alone. You're supposed to do it in the context of the community. Both the apostle, both the preacher, and the preached, okay? Both are supposed to be living fully in community. And then he says that positivity welcomes positivity. Okay, he says, if you go into a house, there's a follower of peace there, great. Right? Your peace will rest upon them and their peace will rest in you. Enter there and he says, remain there. Right? Just don't go. This is a good place to be. Some people are going to message, uh, some people are going to accept the message. Those that do, you'll find a growing of joy and peace there. But he also says something that a lot of people don't like today. Right? They'll consider it judgmental. But he says if people don't believe, if they don't like the message, shake off the dust from your feet and leave. And he says that's their problem, it's not your problem. Okay, if they don't want to accept the message, that's fine. You don't have to be angry with them. But he says shake the dust off your sandals and leave that place. They don't want you, that's fine. Respect their will. You don't have to force on them their belief. And you don't need to evaluate the fruit, which is very comforting. Right? He didn't say, if you don't convert the whole town, you're not my apostle and I don't know you. Right? He says, if they don't accept you, that's perfectly fine. Move on. Right? Just go to the next place. So to end with this, how do we preach? Right? How do we go about preaching? First is to actually live the gospel. Show it. Right? He gave us a whole bunch of different commandments in the readings today. Don't curse. Right? So don't cuss in modern language. Right? Are your words seasoned with salt? Don't steal. Right? Some of us might not steal in a direct, known way, whether it's shoplifting or taking stuff, but also no time theft at work. Are you logging time at work and taking money for it when you didn't work? Right? Are, you, are you taking something that's not yours? Are you not giving back proper change when it was miscalculated? Right? If somebody accidentally gave you more, do you keep it or do you give it, give it back? When you have excess, do you steal it for yourself? Or are you giving it to the poor? Are you giving it to the people who need it? He says, don't swear, um, don't, don't take oaths, don't say, I swear to God, I swear by this, I swear by that. He's saying, don't do that. Um, as mentioned several times today. Don't raise your voice, right? Let your words be seasoned with salts. Participate in the sacraments. These are the ways that we need to be living it. Because when we live it, it makes it clear that the Word of God has penetrated your hearts. I might have told you this story before, I'll tell it again. That website that Abuna Moses had when he was still Paul Samayin, um, Coptic Hymns. When I was in early college, I was working on that website with him. And I remember two or three people at least, completely different people from two to three different states. And each one of them had sent an email asking for more information about Coptic Orthodox Christianity because they said when they were in college, they were not really practicing or atheists or whatever, but they had this one friend who was just different and all they could remember was that he was Coptic, and so they searched for the word Coptic, found the website, and that's why they were asking. This is the result of people who live it. I doubt those people have any idea that they impacted these people in their lives, because they were simply living properly according to what they knew. Then, be clear on why you do what you do. For example, if you're fasting on Wednesday and Friday, which I, I wish we would, um, or if we're fasting for different seasons of the church, there are some people who are too shy to say they're fasting. Oh, you know, sometimes I'm vegetarian, 
right? Sometimes I do a vegan thing. No, that, that's not what you are, right? You're not randomly vegan. You are fasting, right? And you can say that you are fasting. That's not showing off. Because if you know why you're fasting, right, you'll have an answer. If they say, well, why are you fasting? Well, here's why I fast, right? What is the purpose of this? This and this and this and this. Isn't that some form of, like, bodily injury? No, it's not because of X, Y, and Z, right? Is no why you do stuff. Don't be, af don't be afraid to say that you think adultery or fornication is wrong. Why are you being bullied, right? Why do you have to say, oh, yeah, that's so good. I'm so glad that that person is getting what they wanted. I'm glad that they're cheating on their their wives as long as it makes them happy. No, we're not glad that somebody is being hurt that way. And we shouldn't be ashamed to say that I think that that is wrong. I don't have to pretend about it to make someone else feel more comfortable about a wrong thing. Basically, don't be afraid to say that you have a reason for what you believe. And that means that you need to actually know the reason for why you do what you do. You need to know the story of Christianity and why we believe that Jesus is God. And if not, you need to know who to ask for answers, and you should ask them yourself. And know what the church actually teaches, because people will challenge you. They will say, I heard that you believe this and this and this and this, and that's so bigoted, and that's so mean, and that's so something negative. And so you need to actually know the response to those things. Sometimes even other Christians will challenge you if you are challenging them in their behavior. What they may be doing might be wrong. In, in Seattle, for example, when we were there with the youth a couple of weeks ago, there was a fundamentalist Christian who was first screaming at all the people um, that were in the, the main market area. And then when he saw me dressed in black, he decided to yell and scream at me, right? So, which obviously causes a big confusion for all the people, saying I thought they were both Christian, right? Whereas why is he now screaming at the other Christian? People do things like that. So we need to know what is it that we believe and why to have a response and to understand things. Be willing and ready to accept suffering on account of what you are doing. Okay? Maybe you're going to be less popular. Maybe people won't want to associate with you. Do it anyway. Right? Blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake. Right? It's specifically when it's for righteousness sake, for doing what is right. When everyone compromises their beliefs because of fear, it actually means that you're allowing someone else's religion to have dominion over you. Because you are bowing your belief to someone else's belief that is being imposed on you. That means that you are actually allowing yourself to, to follow another religion by force. But if you had conviction about what you believed, you wouldn't be worried about standing out because you're proud of what it is that you believe. Then, on all of this, be humble, right? Let your boasting be in Christ. You're not showing off yourself, right? You're not showing off your belief. You didn't invent the belief. You didn't come up with the belief. You didn't make the rules. You did nothing about the belief. You simply received the truth. The truth was always true. You're showing off your dad, okay, not yourself. You're showing off your dad who created, created you. So make sure the truth you're proclaiming is the truth, okay, with the capital T, and not just your version of it. The Lord mentions in the readings the fall of Lucifer. And Lucifer fell because he cherished himself more than God, right? He saw himself as 
as being worthy of worship more than God, to the point that he believed that he should be a God. Right? He took credit for his own existence as belonging to himself, for his own beauty as being because of himself. Christians do this all the time. Right? We criticize Lucifer for this, but Christians do this all the time, where we take something beautiful that God made or did, and we credit it to ourselves. We pride ourselves in any virtue we have, we pride ourselves in truth, we pride ourselves in many things, and we fall into self-worship in the name of God. If the reason for what you do is anything but God, anything but God, then on some level you're worshiping yourself, even if it's convenience. Okay, the reason must be God and nothing else. Russia was a communist nation, an atheistic nation, that went Christian. America was a Christian nation that's going atheist. Okay, and we're going to talk more about that at Nairo, near Nairu, the, 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 the end of the world readings. The people determine the world. So I'm using that example. It is the people who determine what the world looks like. And you need to ask yourself, for whom do you stand? May the Lord grant us communion with Him and the gifts of the Spirit, that we too may come rejoicing at the increase of His flock, and be true apostles of our God and Savior, and to Him be glory now and always and to the age of all ages. Amen.